Today we're doing a follow-up to last week's clean eating podcast where we dig into some of the greatest villains of the clean eating movement, food additives and preservatives. Now I'm going to dare to engage my critical thinking skills and scandalously use a balanced approach to discuss these issues, so stay tuned. Welcome to the True Food Freedom and Faith Podcast. I'm your imperfect host, Cheryl Sharko, registered dietitian, nutritionist, and biblical counselor, here to get real with you, my sisters in Christ. Yep, I'm talking to you, who struggle with restrictive food rules, chronic dieting, yo-yo diets, emotional eating, and other issues that consume your life, your joy, and your peace. So get your comfy pants on, like I did, and get ready for some real talk about this journey, real nutrition information, and some real solutions so you can live a life in true food freedom and faith. Hello, sisters. Welcome. I am calling this a scandalously balanced approach because it seems like not taking a hard line and a strong stance on the bad or the good of food alterations like food additives and preservatives in the food supply is verboten. But you know what? A balanced approach is exactly what this topic needs. And I bring it to you in good conscience, so with the understanding that science, discovery, and research and questions, they're ongoing. And they will, over time, help to develop a big body of evidence. Now, many warn that any additives to food are bad. They cause cancer. They cause allergic reactions. They cause ADHD in children, all types of sickness. But you know, we really want to use our critical thinking skills and not make or accept blanket statements. Just because the food has been modified or changed in some way, does that always make it bad? I think with a balanced perspective, you too will be able to make wise decisions and have some peace about your foods and fight yet another aspect of the this food is good and that food is bad thinking. Above all, we can and should have an honest and Christian perspective on this just as with any topic. So here we go. Let's start with what are food additives and preservatives? Let's define them. Well, additives are actually any ingredient added to food. They're there to perform a function and they include preservatives. They also include colorings and gums and syrups. Aside from the functions of preservatives, many additives are there just to enhance flavor or color or texture. Um, Some are actually used as antioxidants. We also demand that the food supply be free of spoilage and free from contaminants and microorganisms that can make us sick, of course. We expect the food that we spend money on to last, well, longer than it naturally would. So these demands bring us to preservatives. Preservatives are additives, and they are used to prevent the spoilage of food. They inhibit the growth of bacteria and yeast and molds. They prevent enzyme reactions that help to spoil the food. They prevent or reduce, I should say, exposure to oxygen, which kind of halts a process known as oxidation, which spoils food. So again, additives includes the category of preservatives. I want to address what I think might be a big fear of people in general. I think we have a fear of what we determine to be chemicals, So, and with good reason, you know, we use the word chemicals in our everyday language to mean non-food items very pointedly. They're cleaning products, they're industrial acids and solvents and corroding agents, but chemicals are life. 
Chemicals are life. Food is made up of chemicals. Vitamins and minerals are chemicals with scary sounding names. I mentioned a few on the last podcast. We had some fun with that. And in fact, guess what? You, you are made up of chemicals and chemicals keep you alive. So the word is used in two different ways. One is in our common communication amongst all of us, you know, and the other is more technically appropriate, let's say. So in other words, the average person understands the word chemicals to mean products with the potential for danger if used in a way that they weren't meant to, like, say, ingesting them. But others use the word chemicals in a technically correct way. Any substance with a defined molecular composition is a chemical. In other words, if anything is made up of molecules in an identifiable structure, it is technically a chemical. So the problem doesn't come with either of these uses. The problem comes when we kind of assume that the uses are interchangeable. So when the average person hears that something is a chemical or it reads like a chemical name on the ingredient list, they assume it's dangerous and poisonous. So when we see the term carboxymethylcellulose, on an ice cream dessert label. Well, we just assume that the whole world gone mad. But you know, we can relax and we can enjoy that dessert because it's really just a type of fiber. And then when we see that carboxymethylcellulose is also used in oil drilling and laundry detergents, well, does that mean eating the ice cream is the same as eating a Tide Pod? No, if I'm eating a Subway roll that has a chemical or a conditioner in it that's also used in a foam product, does it mean that eating the Subway sandwich is the same thing as eating the yoga mat, as we have all heard? No, of course not. Just because an ingredient is used in both places, it doesn't make it any more concerning. You know, think about this. Corn. Corn is used to make fuel ethanol. So eating my daily popcorn it really doesn't equate to going and sucking on the gas pump, does it? Another concern I think has to do with artificial versus natural. And so I wanted to address this up front. Now, natural, it's not actually a defined term in the food industry, in consumer labels. So let's just say for our sake that it's something found more closely in that state in nature. How's that? Well, some believe that additives could be harmless, but only if they're natural and they're acceptable as long as they're natural and they're unhealthy and dangerous if they're artificially produced. So, okay, I kind of hate to be the one to tell you this, but just because something is natural, it doesn't mean you're going to want it in your mouth. For example... You know, I'm almost hesitant to say this because there's a world for you before you hear this fact and there's a world for you after you hear this fact and you never can go back. But here we go. I'm being scandalous today, remember? Did you know that extract of beaver anal glands has been and is sometimes still used for flavoring? Yep, it's called castorium. Did you know that the dried and ground up bodies of a bug is used for coloring? Yep, it's called cochineal extract. I'm sorry. I just have to let you know that there are things that are natural that we may not want to eat. Microorganisms, they can be used as a natural method 
of preservation. Do we want that? I don't know. I'm just kind of putting that out there to stop and make you think. Is it always worse if something's artificial over natural? Hmm. Something to think about, right? Now, we actually have a very, very long ancient history, really, of both chemical and physical preservatives, which are, again, remember those preservatives, they're part of the family of food additives. So let's talk about the different historical ways of chemical preservation and physical preservation. Let's start with chemical. Chemical preservatives or chemical preservation is done by the addition of something, the addition of some substance or ingredient. One form of chemical preservation is fermentation. It adds in bacteria naturally. So we see this in fermented milk in the form of yogurt, right? We see it in kimchi and kombucha, kombucha. I always say that wrong. I think kombucha. I don't know. You can correct me. Let me know. Also, another way of chemical preserving is by using an acid, adding an acid, a citric acid, an ascorbic acid, a vinegar, which in effect changes the pH, and that's used in preservation process. So those are just some historically used chemical preservatives. Let's talk about physical preservation, also very, very long history of this. For meat specifically, we've had smoking, curing, drying, salting of meats. Now, actually some of these do have very distinct health risks, and those are natural methods, keep in mind. Other physical preservation methods include sugar and pickling, often seen like in produce, fruits and vegetables. Some of the more recent methods of physical preservation would include refrigeration and freezing because of course those haven't been around for super long. Also edible coatings that are on the fruits and vegetables, some waxes. We also have technological preservation and I'm not talking about those very much today, if at all, but I did wanna mention that there are new technological preservation methods and modifications, which extend shelf life and reduce contamination. One of those is something called irradiation, not as scary as it sounds. It does use radioactive frequencies, but it does not contaminate the food with radiation. And the other is genetic modification, aka GMOs. I know you've heard of it. I know it sounds scary. Today's podcast isn't really about those. It's more about preservatives and all types of additives, but I just wanted to mention that those are the most recent additions to our preservation and food supply additive family, I guess. And you know, chemical preservation and physical preservation are often combined together. All right, we're going to do a quick break here because I have developed a free handy resource for you that will help you to identify different additives and preservatives by their names and what they do. And it's something that you can download and just keep with you if you're concerned about these or you're just curious what these ingredients on your label are and what they're doing. So let's take that break and find out how you can get yours. Be back in a minute. It can certainly be intimidating to look at a food label and see all of these crazy words and terms. Sometimes you hear that you really should never eat preservatives or anything with additives or chemicals in the ingredient list. And really, all you want to do is feed your family with safe, healthy, and nourishing foods. So I've created a little infographic for you that's available only in the February 2022 newsletter. It's going to break down all the different names of the preservatives and additives and what they're doing, whether or not they're safe, how to recognize them on a food label. So go to truefoodfreedomandfaith.com and sign up for the newsletter where you can get this and any future free resource going forward. Link in the show notes. 
Welcome back. Okay, why don't we talk about why food preservatives and additives are used anyway? Are they necessary? What are they there for? Let's start with additives. Now, additives, again, I have mentioned were used for coloring and taste and textures, other sensory qualities to your food. But they're also used for nutrients, adding nutrients to foods, antioxidants, and fortification. I want to talk about fortification for just a minute. There are plenty of foods that have been what's called fortified, which is under the category of additives, remember. And fortification means that nutrients were added to them that didn't naturally occur in them. And the reason for that is because people across the populations were lacking particular nutrients. And these fortifications were made to foods to improve them and to improve the national health or even global health. You know, things like breakfast cereals, such as shredded wheat, they've had several nutrients added. Some orange juice has calcium added, right? That's a fortification. Infant cereals have iron added, yay. And milk has had vitamin D added, also yay. Without these fortifications, some or even many members of society, they could have a harder time meeting their vitamin and mineral needs. The fortified foods really have been found to be so beneficial because some of these nutrients were hard to get for people. Other fortifications were made to prevent terrible diseases. You know, for example, folic acid was added to wheat flours, among other things, by law to prevent specific types of birth defects that were occurring. And fortifications are occurring by law. These are legislations that have come down because of the national health. Now, for example, salt. I mentioned salt in one of the other podcasts. Regular salt has actually had iodine added to it because people that were living far away from sea life and far away from coastlines, they were not getting as much iodine as they needed. And as a result, there were iodine deficiencies rampant, rampant throughout the country. And this can lead to thyroid issues. So through fortifications such as iodized salt, we have now been able to provide iodine in the right amount to people who otherwise weren't getting it. Okay, so that's additives. That's kind of a general idea of why we use additives, what they're used for. Now let's talk about preservatives. What do they do? Why are we using them? Well, for one, they increase the shelf life of food. That's something that we have come to kind of expect as consumers. Also, think about going to the store. I go to the store and I want to buy, I want an avocado and I want some bananas and I want some apples and some cherries and blueberries and I want some wheat bread or wheat something. Now, these come from all different parts of the country, if not the globe. So without preservatives, shipping between countries, shipping between states, even shipping within a state, there would be so much food spoilage. And so preservatives are really necessary for this kind of international and interstate shipping and provision from one place to another. And without such preserving of these foods, there would be a lot more spoilage. So therefore, it lessens food waste. It lessens the global food waste, of which there is a lot anyway. So can you imagine how much more there would be if there were no preservatives used? And another reason for this, think about farmers. Farmers work so hard for a crop. Think about how hard they work just to provide one crop. 
the amount of crop loss I have read could be up to 45% of the crop lost due to spoilage. This is also a problem in countries that have rural areas that are developing a, a lot of the fruits and vegetables and other plant products that are used to export to other countries. They rely on this for their economy. Now, without preservation through preservatives, there's going to be a big economic problem there, isn't there? So global food supply, supply for those without easy access to safe foods, they all really depend on food getting to them and food getting from them to others without spoilage. All right. Also, and perhaps even more importantly in some ways, there are some very dangerous microorganisms such as bacteria listeria, particularly for pregnant mamas, and botulism. You've heard of botulism. Well, preservatives prevent the growth of these harmful microorganisms and many others. There are just many, many other bacteria that make people ill when their food is contaminated with it. Now that I've explained what they're used for and why, do you think these are important? Now, in a perfect world, let's be honest, yep, we would all just love to eat food only as God originally made it, right? But guess what? We don't live in the Garden of Eden. We just don't. You know, Genesis 2.9 said, And out of the ground the Lord made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. Yay! But then one chapter later, Genesis 3, 17-18 says, Cursed is the ground because of you, meaning Adam, in pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life, thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. So now, you know, Adam and Eve were no longer able to eat that perfect food from the garden. They're out in the field. The fall corrupted not just mankind, but corrupted all of creation. Romans 8, 18 through 23 tells us that all creation is in bondage to corruption, which also means decay and perishability. So really, when you think about it biblically, is 100% purity and perfection in your food supply the way God made it? Is that even going to be an option? You know, just something to think about. But of course, in our nature, it seems that we still want to attempt to live with as much perfection as possible. So I think it's natural that we have this an aversion to blatant changes in the natural food supply. I think that's just normal reaction to learning about it. But the reality is... It's going to actually be very difficult for us to eat only foods without any alterations or modifications and to eat only non-processed foods. In fact, in fact, it's going to be hard to find them because I'm sorry to tell you, but just about everything's been altered or processed or modified to some degree. You know, many even the fresh fruits and vegetables that you buy have been altered through genetic modifications or through sprayed on or gaseous preservatives or even colorants. Even some organic foods can legally have some level of chemical pesticide use if needed. So our foods have been altered. They've been modified and this has occurred so that they are prettier. They've been altered to taste better. They've been altered to last longer. Did you notice that your bread lasts on the counter without molding now for quite a long time. I remember when that wasn't the case. That's the result of additives and preservatives. Also, our fruits and vegetables, they're beautiful. They're shiny. They have brightly colored skins and peels. They're not squishy and all deformed. You know those tomatoes that used to go bad in a few days when I was growing up? 
Well, I can leave them on my counter now for a good week and they're still fine. I have some right now sitting on the counter for mm, at least a week now. Yeah, those are modifications that have happened in the food supply. You know, we have to thank for that. Well, some of it does come from genetic modifications or GMOs, and some of it comes from preservatives. All right, so let's talk about where we are now with actual research. You hear a lot of voices out there, passionate voices, angry voices. And so let's just discuss where the research currently is now. All right, so first let's address something that you might not be familiar with this word, but it's called the microbiome. So that is the bacterial balance in your gastrointestinal system. And it's very important balance. And at present, we just don't really know what effect these additives are gonna have, if any, or if there are having any, because we're still really learning a lot about the microbiome in all areas of nutrition science and health science. We do recognize its importance and it has many functions, but again, we're not entirely sure if there is an effect by these additives. But research is ongoing here and I am certain will continue because this is a hot topic. Now I wanna talk about just a few of the substances that you might hear more about. They seem to be those of higher concern from consumers. Let's take BHA or BHT first. Like many substances, like many substances, early research showed cancer in rodents or rats that were given this substance. They were given BHA and there was fanfare and there was outrage. But you know what? Later on, it was shown that the extremely high and repeated levels of the substance that were given to these rodents, it was completely irrelevant to human intake. You and I could never, ever eat this amount from foods. But again, as occurs all the time, these corrections came too late. You know, after that initial headline and shock went out, it's really hard to get a non-shocking message out to the same degree to the public. Would you agree? This, like many other substances with similar histories, have kind of gone down in reputation flames unfoundedly. So BHA and BHT, what it actually is, it's a very widely used antioxidant. It's used often in fat-containing foods to prevent the fats from becoming rancid or to help those fat-soluble vitamins continue on being active. And it's important to remember that any substance ingested in very high quantities over what's called the biological threshold can become toxic, any, even water. So when we're injecting or feeding large amounts of a certain very concentrated substance to, say, a rat, it's not necessarily translatable to humans who would be eating it in a much, much exponentially smaller amount. Now let's talk about nitrates and nitrates. And this one's a little trickier. There actually is a good amount of research on this particular preservative and results are a bit mixed and that's okay. It just means we aren't there yet. Overall, here's the deal with nitrates and nitrites. They're often added to raw meat in order to retain the pinky color and the freshness. Um, without it, you'd be seeing a gray hue to your meat. And that's not really appetizing. And people don't really want to buy that. They don't want that. So that's one of the main uses of nitrates and nitrites. They are found in many processed meats as well in somewhat higher levels. Um, but they're actually ingested in the largest percentage and the largest amounts just from particular fruits and vegetables in our everyday diet. So here's the rub. Okay, ready for this? 
There is research showing that increased amounts of nitrates are correlated with different cancers. Now, some say that nitrites from any food source, vegetable or meat, have the same effect, while others say that meat and water sources are of greatest concern, whereas the fruits and vegetables, although those are high amounts, they also contain their own antioxidants to battle that substance that caused concern to begin with. Therefore, some products are using the, quote, natural forms of nitrites, like celery powder, instead of the organic compounds we were originally seeing. But I'm thinking these are so processed that are they even going to have their natural antioxidants with them anyway? They're not in their whole food package. They're just concentrated forms. So there we go. So much research is arguing that between what we already have in our bodies and what we eat from natural sources, including you know our fruits and vegetables, the small amount, a really small amount of nitrates that are added to meats are not really an issue at all. And in fact, I'd say more of the research and studies are saying that. But, but processed meats, which do contain nitrites, are definitely linked to cancer such as colon cancer. Now, is it the nitrates and nitrites that are that factor? That is something to think about. Now, here's the kicker. Nitrates and nitrites are what is used to prevent botulism in your meat and therefore keeping you safe from this very dangerous, life-threatening illness. So did that clear up the confusion? I didn't think so. Here's my suggestion regarding nitrates and nitrites. I already try to give somewhat a gentle caution about eating processed meats regularly, eating a lot of them. Those would include bacon, sausage, hot dogs, even deli meats. Because processed meats have a combination of molecules and methods used that can make them more prone, potentially, to form that scary cancer-causing nitrosamine. We don't know 100% if that is what's happening, so this is just one more reason to be somewhat cautious and careful with eating a lot of processed meats. But I don't think fear of fresh meat is warranted at this time, especially as part of an eating style that includes lots of fruits and vegetables and whole grains, like I love to encourage, and therefore it's full of antioxidants. All right, so that's nitrates and nitrites, and let's go now to some other substance that you may hear people concerned about, sulfites. Sulfites. In general, they're deemed safe for the population, but there is some sensitivity for some people that has been reported. So caution if you're finding you know, sensitive reactions to certain foods that have sulfites in them. Uh, off the top of my head, I'm thinking migraine might be one of them. Uh, I'll have to check on that. But you know, if you're someone who is experiencing some sort of reaction to foods with sulfites, you may be one of those that are sulfite sensitive. And this brings us to colors. Colors are so controversial it's really actually oddly hard to parse out the research from the consumer opinion here. They're strangely intertwined. By colors, I'm talking about artificially made colors here. Artificial colors are used because they mix well with the ingredients without changing the end product, you know, and they last over time and in different temperatures. They're also used because they offset natural color loss that can occur with temperature changes or moisture or light or air. And, you know, they make your food look prettier, so you'll buy it. Now, the U.S. bans some colorings that are used elsewhere, and it allows some here that are banned in other countries. 
and many have been banned in the U.S. over the past 100 years anyway. Uh, nine are currently approved for use in foods. And some color additives have come under scrutiny and as an effect have been legislated against. Now, this isn't necessarily because evidence showed a problem, but because of the way the original law was worded and how it was stated in regard to the effect on animals and not humans, but that's the way the law was written. It doesn't mean humans wouldn't be affected. It just means we don't know either way and it was assumed. Artificial coloring is in more of your foods than you would likely imagine. It really is. It's very strange and a little shocking if you're averse to that and concerned about it. If you're not, then, you know, just enjoy the prettiness of your food. You know, a lot of people say, and I think it's true, that your eyes are part of your eating experience. So if something's a prettier or brighter color, you seem to taste more of that flavor. If something is berry flavored but has no color of a berry, it can have a blander taste to people. Whereas if it's a pink or a purple or something like that, your mind might help you enjoy that berry flavor more. Now, artificial colors allowed in our food supply are considered safe when used as intended, but some colors have been accused over the years of causing inattentiveness and hyperactivity and restlessness and behavioral problems in, quote, certain children. But let's use critical thinking here. Do we know it was the dye or could it be the types of foods those colors were in, such as usually highly processed sugary foods? snacks. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Or is it something else entirely? It's hard to look at different factors that go into some of these complaints. Now, yellow number five, on the other hand, has been shown to give allergic reactions to some people. It's very rare. And those people usually have asthma and are already prone to developing hives. But it's interesting that even the FDA has said that yellow number five could be one of those substances that people have a sensitivity to. Now, there are natural food colors too, like beet juice and beta carotene, but they're more expensive to use. So those are some of the substances of consumer concern specifically mentioned. But let's talk about just the ones in general that aren't mentioned by name. Well, with the potential exception of those nitrates, nitrites, where we stand after many, many years of research, there just really isn't much reliable research that indicates that most of these are dangerous, especially not in the amounts that we eat them in in our food supply, unless there happens to be a specific sensitivity or allergy. Now, I'm not saying that's 100% true, and I'm not saying that it's not. I'm saying that although people might have individual claims or stories of problems with specific additives or advice to give out, they're not necessarily getting this information from the actual dependable research studies that have led to the body of evidence that have been conducted over the many years. You know, research isn't a study done here and there. Research, responsible research, collects many, many, many studies done by many different organizations and people and puts them together to develop a body of evidence and a theory, okay? So be really careful when someone says, well, research shows and maybe it's based on one study or something somebody said. Now, the good news is that research is pretty much always ongoing in this area. So we can look forward to what's to come. We want that. We want more studies done because we want more information. We want to be able to have more studies to put together and look at outcomes and get more information to guide us in this. 
Now, with all of this said, you do you. You do you. If you have concerns, address them. Just do your best to go to reputable places for evidence-based information where they're using research studies. All of this is not to imply that if you have a specific aversion, you just don't like the idea of added ingredients in your foods, you're not crazy. I think that's just the natural reaction we all have. It, it sounds wrong. It sounds wrong to have things artificially put into our food. Of course we have that aversion. But we can't responsibly and truthfully always say that research shows it's bad just because it sounds like something we're averse to. Again, however, you know you. So if you feel that something in your food might be giving you some kind of adverse effect of any kind, there's nothing wrong with testing it out. Test it out. Different people may have different sensitivities to additives like colors, and you can try to eliminate that food or ingredient strictly. You'd have to be very strict about it, and then after a couple weeks, add it back in. Now, in this case, if you see allergic reactions, allergic reactions such as hives or difficulty breathing or flushed skin, sometimes swollen tongue or throat, anything that makes it harder to breathe or swallow, any change in your pulse rate, nausea and vomiting, any faintness or dizziness, you must seek medical attention immediately. And do not have that substance again until you get medical advice. Not cyber advice, not podcast advice, medical advice. This is a podcast. This is not medical advice. You need to be responsible with all health messages you consume, including mine, and submit them to your private healthcare providers. Now, I want to talk for a minute about morality and motives in this whole issue. What we don't want to do is make the topic of processed foods or preservatives or additives or even modified GMOs a moral issue, a right or wrong issue, a can eat versus a cannot eat. God doesn't say that these are sin and righteousness issues, does he? And restricting them is most likely not necessary for our safety and our health. Since it's unlikely we could eat high enough quantities of these additives anyway to cause issues. You know, I do want to mention that it seems somewhat common in the church these days to hear this theme or implied message that whatever isn't strictly natural, it's somehow less morally acceptable. Do you hear that too? Are you feeling that message? Well, do we apply that to, say, refrigeration? That's not natural. Medication, technology, the different kinds of clothing fabric, or transportation. You know, there is a line that the world will cross for sure. We know, we see it, but let's tread lightly and not make moral issues where scripture is silent and assume a right and wrong stance where God doesn't say. Now, I say all the time no foods need to be avoided on the basis of right and wrong good and bad. And we need to watch out for the moralization of amoral things, things that have no moral standing, like foods and even ingredients. You know, challenge the assumptions that you hear, even if it's something that seems so logical, like if it's natural, it's best. Well, as we've seen, that's not necessarily true. Hello, beaver butt glands. And food modifications are unfortunately, or fortunately, however you look at it, present everywhere. And they're nearly impossible to avoid. But just like it's not an issue of morality to eat foods with additives, it's not an issue of morality if you choose to abstain from them, you know, as much as you're able to. That's within your freedom to do. It's not a guilt issue. Now, as far as motives, 
for having food additives and preservatives in the first place, I think you can see that some of them are very, very good. You know, feeding the global population, preventing disease-producing killer organisms. Those are great. Those are great motives. And I'm thankful for such a safe and abundant food supply. Also, let's be honest, profit-generating companies who make food, they want to make a profit. They want to please the consumer demand and they want to keep away from any controversy and they'll make what they can sell in a cheaper way. The idea of profit making isn't bad though. I mean, we don't want to vilify that. We want companies to make a profit because we want them to survive because we want to buy what it is they sell. So just because a company is trying to make a profit, well, that's good. They're employing people. They're providing a service for others. So that's not necessarily a bad thing. Now, the individual practices could be subject to scrutiny, but I'm, again, just trying to put that out there for you to be thinking critically about it. Okay, so... What would my advice be to somebody wondering about all of this that I've just said? Well, of course, again, we want to be critically thinking about these issues and the assumptions that we hear, such as, you know, what is the function of this additive? Do we know that it's unhealthy? Is it just made from part of a natural food? Does it have a benefit that outweighs any potential risk? Is it even shown to have any risk? So we want to start questioning the very loud messages that we're hearing Also, I want to make a point again, if you have any aversion, just even a mental or emotional aversion, or you have a sensitivity, or you have an allergic response to any of these, please do not assume that it's wrong to try and avoid them and try and find a way around them. There's no problem with that either. And again, with allergic reactions, you must, must seek some medical advice. Some of those allergic reactions are pretty benign, but some could be life-threatening if they're causing a problem with your breathing, for example. And if you're looking for more information on what the specific additives and preservatives are, what they're called, what they're doing, you can find out those kinds of details from that free copy of the Food Additives and Preservatives Guide, and that's available only in that February 2022 newsletter. So you'll want to go to the website, truefoodfreedomandfaith.com, and sign up for the newsletter before the end of this month. All right, so some other thoughts I'm having. There's a little conflict here in this whole situation. Consumers, you, me, we demand the freshest, the prettiest foods. And we also want no processing and additives in GMO. I think this is a discrepancy. Let's call this a discrepancy in our desires. Well, how are those two things going to happen simultaneously? Because foods don't always come out being the most beautiful. They don't last as long. Bread gets stale. Baked goods get stale. Crackers lose their crispness. Many, many, many foods are affected by time, moisture, light, So how is it that our demands are going to be met on both sides? Just a thought to put out there for you, because ironically, the use of additives is somewhat due to consumer demand. We want our bread soft and moist, and we expect them to stay that way. We want our fruits and vegetables to be shiny and blemish-free. We want our oranges to have that deepest, orangiest coloring. You know, we're not going to buy that pack of meat that has the grayish tint to it. And these days, we're requiring all our favorite foods be made with less fat and less salt and less sugar, but in a way that, you know, still tastes exactly the same and looks exactly the same as the original. Well, my friends, this takes food science. And food science means chemical and physical and even genetic alterations. It means additives. 
Another thing about consumer demand, the busyness of us all, busyness of families these days, well, that leads people to need convenience foods more, right? With a longer shelf life because they're not able to go shopping as often. They're not going to food store every day and getting the ingredients they need to make for dinner. They're not even usually going more than once a week. They're not cooking everything from scratch. So just that busyness of our family life now and busyness of life in general kind of lends us to require and demand these more convenient foods and foods that last a lot longer. Now, I'm going to say if you're really concerned about food additives and preservatives and modifications and processing, then you know what? You can always put your dollar where your heart is. Purchase the imperfect, quickly perishing foods. Get the ugly ones. Purchase the graying meat that still has plenty of time before its expiration date, by the way, if you can find any. Put your money where your mouth is. Food science will follow the global need and it will follow the dollar. I also want to suggest that we be very careful about blanket statements. For example, I can't say I hate the fact that my food's been altered at all because you know what? It really depends entirely on the ingredient. What's it doing? What are its benefits? Is it giving me health? Is it giving me safety? Is it making my dollar stretch further? How valuable is that to me? What are its actual dangers? So that's what's difficult to find in this emotion-packed discussion, pulling apart those questions and not having a blanket statement such as, all modifications are bad, they're dangerous, they're poisonous. That's not necessarily true, and we want to kind of avoid that type of all-or-nothing thinking here. The good news is, that if you are dead set against an ingredient, you can apparently raise enough of an uproar through social media and blogs and online petitions to get it removed from the products. Whether or not the danger is real, it's happened more than once. After all, companies want profits, not controversy and a bad reputation. But we're Christians, and we just want to make sure that we're being responsible and we're always speaking the truth in love to others and about others before God. You know, just as we're careful about spreading gossip about a person we can see in front of us, we have to be careful to be fair and honest and loving to those that we can't see that make up these big organizations even. We're to be people of love and truth who spread the message of the grace of God above all else. And then we're not unnecessarily argumentative or accusatory without knowing for sure that what we're saying is truth, right? Now, I myself wish I could eat foods without chemical additives. I mean, I like the initial idea of it, I guess, but when I think that the payoff of 100% unaltered food could be, well, severe illness or death, or even just ooh, the disgusting experience of biting into a moldy tomato, I'm still traumatized by doing that once. Well, when I think about all of that together, I'm a little more okay with these additives and frankly grateful for such an overall safe food supply and the abundance of food that we have. So thank you, Lord, for allowing that. Above all, God is sovereign. We can be at peace, my sisters. God is sovereign and we can trust him for our lives and our well-being even in this. You know, God has not just tossed us over to these big food conglomerates and been like, good luck to you, hope you don't die. You know, we worry about our food. That's specifically addressed in scriptures like Matthew 6, 
Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, not about your body or what you will put on. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? And then in Matthew 10, he says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father, but even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. We can be at peace. We can be at peace. So overall, I want you to begin stretching your critical thinking bone. Nothing in that sentence made sense. Okay, but you know, I told you I was going to be scandalous today. Now, if you would like help in working through your own food or health or spiritual issues where nutrition and eating are involved, which is surprisingly in many of our issues, or if you're dealing with any chronic diseases that you want to improve through nutrition, I am here for you. I'd love to work one-on-one with you through safe, online, private appointments that you can actually do from the comfort of your home. It really couldn't be easier to get started. Just go to truefoodfreedomandfaith.com and click on the free consultation button. Zip, boom, done. You don't need to guess at the science or struggle with your nutrition or health or weight issues and questions alone. I am here to help you. And until next time, my sisters, be at peace. Enjoy the good gift of God's food as it comes to us. And remember 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Amen. See you soon.